Hi guys and welcome to the Quiet Soapboxing Podcast. I'm Luke Kesher as always and um, today we talk about, you know, the big one, the trilogy. The uh, third fight that we've all been waiting for. And yeah, Tyson Fury dominated Director's Aura and uh, goes on to uh, bigger and better things. Um, yeah, obviously um, I am going to be talking about Estrada versus Chocolatito. I am in fact not really going to be talking about Chisora versus Fury because I didn't watch it. I'll talk a little bit about the um, post-fight but not really, you know, I'm not very interested in that to be honest. Uh, um, yeah, that's really only going to be talking about Strada as a chocolate detail and briefly about um, Julio Cesar Martinez at the end. I would, you know, I will, I will mention Dubois, uh, Daniel Dubois' fight on the Chisora undercard and uh, yeah, that's really it. I want to, to talk about Kelly versus um, Troy Williamson, but again, I did also didn't get a chance to watch that fight and uh, haven't been able to catch up so. So yeah, it's really just about that, uh, the main event and its uh, main support. And on that main event, you know, as I said, um, if you've seen my post-fight piece on Bloody Elbow, I, you know, there's going to be some repeat ground covered. But um, I said uh, on, my, on my Twitter posting it that um, it wasn't the main event that uh, we hoped for, but it was, you know, really interesting nonetheless. And the second half was what we hoped for. The first half was a little bit, um, it was a little bit concerning watching it live. And, uh, you know, clearly I wasn't the only one. Um, Chocolate said didn't look himself. Um, he didn't look right and he lost most of the early rounds. And watching it live, there was a distinct impression that he just, you know, he wasn't letting the punches go. He was taking, he was feeling the shots harder than he normally does. He was taking, taking shots that he wouldn't normally while not throwing punches. You know, normally he can parry shots while throwing punches and this time he was leaking shots through his guard while not throwing punches. And it was concerning. It, was, it looked a little bit like what happened to Golovkin against um, Canelo. You know, similar sort of thing. And like Canelo, uh, Golovkin versus Canelo, he came back into it later. But it didn't have quite the same feel to it because there were things... That, uh, you know, he looked sharper, you know, fully, fully into it. You know, he didn't. He looked like his old self in the second half of the fight. And there are still concerns about, you know, he is an old, he is an old man for the division, and he's been boxing for a very long time. And you know, I do think the fact that he he felt the punches more, um, you know, it is still a concern that uh, that he may be getting older. But looking back, when I rewatched some of it to, you know, to come to my conclusions. The, you could see little tactical things that Estrada was doing that made it harder for Chocolatito to do what he always does. And uh, when Chocolatito began to adjust to those, that's when he, you know, got his way back into the fight and started to sort of, uh, you know, almost take over. And, uh, yeah, to put it shortly, the, the, the two main tactical things that Estrada was doing, the main one was really simple. It was... um. He was throwing a little uppercut. He was throwing other interception shots as well. But he was throwing a little uppercut that was uh, interfering with Chocolatito's head movement. That, uh, he like you know, Chocolatito, as we know, he likes to snip and duck and he likes to come in quite low. Uh, you know, he likes to use his small size against his opponents in this division. He likes to come in underneath their punches. And Estrada was basically just straightening him up and using the uppercut and the threat of the uppercut to make him in club heart come in higher than he wanted to be. Which is interesting because, as you may remember, um, if you listen to my podcast about Estrada versus Archie Cortez back in September, one of the uh, issues Estrada had was that Cortez was doing the exact same thing to him. Um, you know, the mechanics were a little different because Estrada's head movement isn't the same as uh, as uh, 
chocolatey toast. But um, but the basic idea was the same. Yeah, he was straight. You know, Estrada was changing levels as he came in, and uh, Cortez wasn't letting him do it because he was throwing little uppercuts at him. So you know, I wouldn't, he maybe he borrowed the idea from there. He may have come up with it anyway. It's not. It's not completely unusual. His chocolatey solution was completely different to Estrada's, and we'll come to that later. Um, and yeah, that was a. Uh, for me, just that tiny little thing, Chocolatito being afraid of the uppercut, did have an effect on you know everything else about his game because it disrupted his poise and he's such a all together fighter. Like everything flows together so nicely. If you stop one thing flowing, especially his stance, everything flows from his positioning. And if you disrupt his positioning, it becomes much harder for him. And you know, against most fighters, it wouldn't. Uh, you know, Chocolatito would find ways very quickly, even if he was off balance. But he was fighting Estrada, who is—he's a great fighter. Like he's a genuine great in his own right. Estrada, you know, Chocolatito will go down in history, probably more unless Estrada ca- continues on and wins, you know, more significant fights. But Estrada is a great fighter in these divisions in his own right, and so Chocolatito just found himself. You know, the thing is. The reason you don't always see fighters using uppercut to straighten up a fighter who's ducking low is that uppercut is a punishable punch. You know, it's it's a lot of movement that is for your own fist that would normally be your guard that is completely out of the way of the guard. If you're, you know, if you're too keen on the uppercut, you're very open on the side that you're or the hand that you're throwing the uppercut with. Uh, you know, Estrada is just so good at timing and positioning and all of that that Chocolatito couldn't really punch him for it. Um, you know, especially in the first half. It isn't going to be a solution to everyone's problems coming in against a short fighter, but it's you know, it's a it's a, it's a trick to have in the bag, and Strada used it to perfection. And he used off the back of that, he um he used other shots. He used this sort of I referred to it as a shovel hook. It's kind of you know complicated. It's a shovel hook or a hook or a you know, it's he's throwing he was throwing a um lead hand to the body. You know, whatever angle we needed it to come out really. Um, it was always sort of sort of wonky. Not quite up, you know, it wasn't uppercut. Sometimes it was, but yeah, it was just like a punch coming from an odd angle to the body. Um, as Chocolito had his hands up to do, you know, to do the stuff going on above. And, um, and he also had an open, a sort of long leaning overhand right. And, um, that was a punch that concerned me in terms of Chocolito's reflexes because that was a punch that you'd never normally see land on Chocolito, not when he's not throwing, you know, when he's exchanging, yeah, but, um, He's far too aware to normally be caught by just a long reaching right hand. But I do think that was an effect of him breaking his stance. Um, you know, having to be straighter than he needed to be and his guard wasn't where he thought it was going to be. It just took him a while to figure out what he needed to be doing. And you know, even still, even there, it is a concern that it took him seven, you know, until the eighth round to figure out what he was going to be doing. Um, because the pattern of the first seven rounds was, you know, more or less the same. It was a, Chocolatito coming at Estrada, pushing him into the ropes quite a lot. Like he had, he was on the front foot a lot. Estrada did push him back a fair bit, but um, but a lot of the fight was Estrada on the back foot, Chocolatito getting him to the ropes, and then when he did throw, he lost the exchange um, and backed off. So even with all of that set of tactics, it's still it's a bit of a concern. Uh, it took him that long, but he got there in the end. Um, yeah, the other thing I do, you know, I need to mention, and again, if you've read the preview, you've seen me mention this already, but um, Estrada's other thing was he was preventing and fouling up Chocolatito's movement. Um, and he didn't just go full on strength battle. Um, he would just, as if Chocolatito did get in tight, like, did get in close enough, he would lengthen his start, stick out his shoulder, and um, and prevent Chocolatito from 
moving comfortably around him in those little circles that him and Lomachenko so love. And, you know, sometimes you could see this is exactly what he was trying to do because, um, because that is a dangerous thing to do against someone like Chocolatito. If he gets around that lead hand, he's got a long way around back, the back of your um, vulnerable side, you know. Um, and Estrada would literally just shove his elbow out to prevent from Chocolatito from getting there. Or he'd intercept him with hooks and uh, hooks and little just straight lifts, um, which he's incredibly good at. And, uh, you know, in this instance, I would suggest that no one else is capable of doing that to Chocolatito, just stopping him in, in that fashion. But otherwise, you can, you know, fap him up and stop him moving. But that just particular simple way of doing it, um, I don't think anyone else would be cap as capable as intercepting him with lifts as uh, Strader is. So, so again, not a viable plan for everyone. It's a viable way of doing that against you know other fighters, just not necessarily against Chocolatito. Um, and yeah, um, those are the two main things that I thought. You know, the uppercut and that elbow and. Uh, Shoulder were the two main concerns, tactically speaking, for Chocolatito. And he had answers to both. And both of them involved him not approaching as much and as fast. And doing that, uh, you know, um, counterintuitively allowed him to get closer more. Um, in terms of the dealing with the uppercut and the intercepting punches in general, um, is what he'd do is he'd pause and he'd do the level changes at distance without stepping forward essentially as a feint, and Estrada would bite on it and throw at it. And he'd come in behind the punches. Sometimes he'd time it really well and come in under the punches and follow him in, follow them in that way. But if not, he'd just come in behind them. He'd follow the punches back and Estrada's still recovering his dance and Chocolatito suddenly in his face. And that was a, you know, that was a brilliant move. Because um, Estrada can't really not... Uh, he has to, you know, he has to respond to it in some way. And uh, yeah, and once he's done that, once Estrada, once he's followed him in, then it's Estrada who's a little bit out of position and, um, and a little bit uncomfortable. And Chocolatito then started to get to work, started to get his combinations flowing, was able occasionally to get around that uh, lead hand. Um, and he dealt with the pushing in a couple of ways, which I'll uh, get to in a second. And yeah, and that's when Chocolatito got to work with his famous combinations. He still didn't get to his, you know, six, ten, six, eight, ten punch combinations because against Estrada, you can't really do that. He, that hasn't really happened in any of the three fights. Uh, but, um, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the way he dealt with the shoving with the shoulder with the extended, uh, the extended stance, there were two ways he did, he dealt with that. The first way was, um, like again by uh, just backing off a little bit essentially when Strider did that he uh, he wouldn't engage with it at all and he'd just basically ha he'd be a little bit further away than I really wanted to be but he'd have freedom to move the Estrada would be pushing out air sticking his elbow out into the air and uh, Gonzalez had more freedom and you know it wasn't his ideal where he wanted to be um, but he was controlling what he was doing and he was just much more comfortable and Estrada was you know the initial moment he was distracted by doing something that wasn't engaging with anything like that saved that push and the other thing was occasionally he'd come in and uh, just match the stance match the change of stance um, lengthen his own stance and uh, you know push, push his own left, left shoulder forward and as Estrada was occupied with trying to foul his movement around that side he'd just work the body um, comfortably you know on the other side basically use, use, use Estrada's own trick against him and do exactly what Estrada you know um, in the first half of the fight when Chocolatito would circle to his left um, you know instead of trying to go to his own right around his left he'd get punished with punches from there and um, Chocolatito essentially went okay I can do that too and he'd throw punches to the body below Estrada's guard um, 
you know, as a strider was occupied with that, framing off. Um, and that was really clever too. And, um, and just those little things made things a lot, lot easier for Chocolatito than even to do what he wanted to be doing in the first place, if you follow me. He, um, he didn't do the slipping at distance fainting thing all the time because once he'd done it a couple of times and Estrada had bitten on it a couple of times then Estrada kind of had to assume that any duck and slip would be a feint and he wasn't going to follow in and that meant he could follow in with much less worry about the interceptions because Estrada had just a fraction of a second to, to more to, to figure out what Chocolatito was doing and by then Chocolatito was on him it's just that having more, having extra options, it's the tiniest little thing can make such a huge difference in a fight. And that was it, you know? It's just one little extra option, and uh, Strider had much more to think about, and uh, and it made the fight much more equal. It's fair to say that uh, Strada was much more in the second half of the fight um, than Chocolatito was in the first half. It was, you know, even if you give Chocolatito all of the rounds between um, 8 and 10, um, 11 and 12 were much closer anyway. But even if you give Chocolatito all four of those rounds, 8, 9, 10, um, 7, 8, 8, 9, 10, yeah, all three of those rounds, um, he, uh, he was, uh, Estrada was always in it. And that's partly because Estrada was more comfortable with just being that little bit out of shape. Um, you know, something I've said before, and Chocolatito would never normally be a fighter who you'd accuse of falling under this gap of the guy who has to be in the perfect position to do his stuff thing, you know, the Anthony Joshua's of the world, where if they don't throw the perfect punch, they're not, they don't throw at all, sort of thing. And Chocolatito is not that guy, but uh, again, maybe because of his age, maybe just because in this particular instance he was just out, out of position in ways that he hadn't prepared for um, he looked more uncomfortable than normal um, having to throw when things weren't going quite his way um, whereas Estrada is, is a you know Estrada will do all sorts of crazy shit if he's feeling uncomfortable you know he will do things that you shouldn't be doing anyway that uh, um, that uh, that you would never teach in other fights he didn't so much do it need to do it in this fight but in other fights like, like I mentioned on that if you listen to the Port or Cortez podcast um Estrada's solution to the uppercuts um, that Cortez was throwing to prevent him level changing was basically just to take up the defensive stance uh, at distance, protecting his chin, and just kind of launch himself at Argy Cortez. You'd never teach that. You'd never do that. <laughs> you'd never do that. And then you'd kind of work his way into his comfort from there while punching. Um, and so, yeah, Estrada was basically much more comfortable being like, okay, he's engaged with me now. I have to fight back and I'll throw while getting back into my preferred position. That was essentially the difference. Estrada was comfortable throwing while trying to work back to safety, whereas Chocolatito wanted to be safe before he threw. And that was that was one probably one of the big differences in the fight. Um and yeah the um the final two rounds um were much much closer. Like again I say Estrada was in those eight, nine and ten um but Chocolatito, the moment it was really with Chocolatito in a big way. And then Estrada really got back into to 11 and 12. Um, my scoring here was a little bit, not with the, um, I have to say it wasn't with the um, with the consensus. I ended up with the same scores, but I ended up flipping the rounds. I scored 11 to Estrada and 12 to Chocolatito, and a lot of people scored it the other way. Um, I think most people I saw scored those two rounds the other way. I ended up with more, more or less the same scores as everyone else. I scored it 7-5 to uh, 
to Estrada. Um, you know, as most people seem to have between you know either some five or a draw. I don't think the um, the judge who scored it um, eight four was too out of line. Like that seems really wide, but it's only a round flip from seven five, obviously. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Estrada was just really dominant in the first eight rounds of the fight. Like you could give Chopolito one there, but um, but if you didn't. Um, yeah, uh, you know those last two rounds were very close. Apparently, you know, like I say, I gave it, I gave it flipped to everyone else. So apparently, play, you know, you could conceivably give Estrada both. I feel like that would be harsh, but um, you could. Um, so, um, so yeah, I don't think eight four is a completely wild idea. Um, you know, anyway, back to the back to the the fight itself. Um, yeah, the final two rounds, Estrada basically. It just kind of adjusted to the adjustments. And it should be noted we are going to be talking about movement movement, like proper running in the in the next fight. Um when we talk about Carmona versus Martinez. But in this instance, um Estrada went back to his movement, but like in a really proactive way. Um you know, there's nothing of the running about it. Essentially what he was doing. And the timing needed to be flawless on this. And actually I want to roll back just for a second um, because this is an important part of why Estrada was doing what he was doing now. If there was one weakness in Estrada's game, um, you know, like actual weakness, not he's not quite as good at Chocolatito as in fighting. I mean, you know, that's not weakness. That's just not being as good as one of the greatest in-close fighters ever at being in-close. Um, it's that his jab is not a particularly good defensive tool um, when he needs it to be. Um, it's fucking fantastic at everything else you want a jab to do. It's fantastic at setting shots up with it, at distracting, at all of that stuff, at peppering, at just that scoring. It's a good scoring shot when he wants it to be. He doesn't always use it um, as a heavy scorer. He's not in a jab advisor. If that's, you know, in a, the sense of a new or someone. Um, but he's really good at all of that. But when he needs it to interrupt his opponent's movement, to stop them coming at him and just jump them in the tracks, pause their movement. It doesn't really do that. It never really has, and he didn't use it here. And it was really useful for him in this situation to stop Contardos getting really close. It would have been really useful in all three fights. It just never really, um, it's never really been something that he does with his jab. Um, in any case, what he did to compensate for that was to go back to movement. Um, and it's really impressive that he did this without that jab jolting you know, controlling the movement of Chocolatito. What he did was, um, he'd essentially time his movement exactly as Chocolatito was stepping forward. Um, he'd tried to step back. And this was a, a really fucking difficult thing to do. And if you get it wrong, you know, if you get it even slightly bit wrong, if you go too early, then Chocolatito doesn't have to bother coming forward in the first place. He's like, you know, why would I step into the space you've just left? And um, if you obviously if you leave it too late, then Chocolatito is throwing at you while you're out of position, um, moving. So you have to time it exactly right. He didn't get it right. Every, he didn't get it right every time. And Chocolatito had some joy, um, you know, catching him out of position. But um, but when he did, he'd leave Chocolatito readjusting, um, and you know, catching falling short. Thing is. There are loads of fighters whose game plan that always is, and Estrada does it to other people, but doing it to Chocolatito is really fucking hard because he's so good at continuing the approach. Like Chocolatito is, you know, like I talked about with Reggie Progno last week against Cepeda, um, Chocolatito is also a guy who's never out of shape. He never, I mean, clearly I talked about him being out of shape after, um, earlier, but um, he was forced out of shape by Estrada. He's never leaving his feet behind when he's coming in. He's never doing 
it's never a situation where he has to recover and, and push forward again. He can just continue the movement really, almost smoothly. Um, but Estrada could find those gaps. Um, you know, hit like that just enough, throw that little combination, and leave again. Um, and that made the last two rounds much, much, much more even. Um, and yeah, that was probably what turned the fight in the end for Estrada, for kept it for Estrada. You know, kept the comeback from being a full-on comeback. It was that uh, Estrada, Estrada's timing was so sharp in that in, that, in those late rounds. Um, yeah, it was really a joy to watch. It was really, you know, once they got into that flow of adjustment and counter-adjustments, the fight was a joy to watch. It was a shitload of action. Um, and yeah, like, this is so much to talk about. Like, I completely missed out, like, some, you know, I was earlier on what Estrada was doing. Um, you know, he was also interrupting the movement of Chocolatito with, it, you know, timing stepping in just as uh, Chocolatito wanted to um, to move himself um, and you know you may, you may have been wondering why they were suddenly clashing heads all the time but I think they clashed heads three or four times luckily we never got a cut and that was because Estrada was you know borrowing a sort of like it's a wrong side trick and uh, not entirely but um, he was stepping on the bounce you know the, the final bounce of Chocolatito's feet before he moved in for the kill Estrada would step in and uh, try to catch him force him on that and they'd often meet and clash and um and again, that was another thing where doing that to other guys is, you know, lots of, not lots of fighters, but plenty of fighters have that as a plan. Doing it to Chocolatito, he shows no tell on when he's going to make his final move. So how the fuck Estrada, um, you know, saw it, he clearly did see a turn of some kind. Um, yeah, uh, and you know, he's not quite as, as good at that as Rickett's wrong side, because if he was, he would have moved soon enough to... Um, to catch him completely off guard and not crash heads, but um, you know, anyway, and you know, at the end of the fight, um, it should be said um, as well. It was really nice to see them, but you know, they were going all out. There were two fights between friends because Chocolatey, um, Chisora, and Tyson Fury are friends now as well. Um, but Chocolatey and Estrada really have become apparently really, really good friends. Um, you know, and they left it all in the room with each other, and they were friends afterwards. But even during the fight. And I saw, I can't remember, apologies, I saw someone on Twitter, I think it was Twitter, mentioned this, it may have been in the uh, bad comments. It was nice to see them as well during the fight. You know, you're boxing, there are going to be things that are, you know, a little bit dirty, someone goes low, the, the heads clash and all of that. And uh, look, I'm not against the dark arts in, to a certain extent, obviously, and low blows and all that kind of thing, no, but... Um, Taking advantage of a momentary um, intention, all of that kind of thing, um, you know, fine. Um, but it was really nice to see them, clearly friends, um, just check up on each other. You know, if they clashed it, they're like, shit, sorry, my bad. You know, and obviously that does not work, you know, that happens between fighters who aren't best friends as well. But, um, you know, it was just really cool to see fighters who are clearly close still, you know, going at it and then switching off, not even when the bell rang, just when where they needed, needed to in the midst of the action. You know, that's just, that's just nice to see. Um, and yeah, Estrada won. Chocolatito had no complaints. Um, you can't really have any complaints. It took too long to get going. Um, you know, it wasn't a uh, Lomachenko versus, um, versus Tiafimo Lopez, who fights next week. Um, but yeah, it wasn't that situation where he was downloading data, downloading data, but he did. He took too long to work out the issues. Um, so he can't have any complaints about the loss. Um, Afterwards, they talked about the possibility of a fourth one. Um, I, a lot of people said, you know, yeah, we definitely need to see it straight away. Um, I don't want to see it straight away because because of that first half, 
Because if it was just the tactical stuff that I've talked about, then yeah, it would be a great rematch. Chocolate Toe isn't going to fall for the same trick for as long again. Um, it would be great to see. But if his age came into it, that equation isn't going to get any more joyful, yeah, more, there isn't, he's going to get more joy out of it the next, you know, waiting another year or two, um, you know, well, every time they fight, it's going to get worse if that's where he's at. Um, and obviously, that does also mean that if he takes another fight in the meantime, it could be even worse by the time they meet again. But I feel like just throwing him in straight away, like, I would like to see Chocolatito fight someone not quite as good as Estrada and see how he looks. And in the meantime, Estrada goes off to collect the other belts. Um, you've got the um, Kazuto Yoko versus Joshua Franco fight on New Year's Eve. And um, Estrada fighting the winner of that would just be completely sensible. Estrada had one of those belts. They're fighting, I can't remember, w, I can't remember who holds what belt, whatever the fuck. But Estrada had one of them and he got stripped for not fighting Franco in summer because he was preparing for this rematch. Um, so him fighting for the winner of those two belts um, just would be a fantastic idea. And then if Chocolatito is still in the shape that he needs to be, then maybe fight again. Yeah, you could do it this time next year if everyone gets her act together. Um, and what I'd like to see, like I say, what I'd like to see Chocolatito do is fight someone else who can test his metal without being, you know, Estrada. Um, you know, my thought would be Archie Cortez. I know that he won a controversial and uh, underwhelming performance uh, a couple of weeks ago on the Mongolia fight. I didn't see it, so I can't really comment. But, um, but yeah, if Chocolatito you know, fights Archie Quarters and blows him away in a way that Estrada didn't, and he can be like, okay, let's put them in together. Um, you yeah, know, he apparently isn't that old. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it wasn't, like I say, it wasn't the complete end-to-end war that, um, that we kind of hyped up and hoped it would be. But the second half was, the second half was fantastic. The first half was just this, you know, somewhat sad, but interesting tactic battle. And like I say, Gonzalez is not where Golovkin is. Like with Golovkin, it's just that like, I think he did finish. But, you know, I don't want to see. I don't particularly want to see Golovkin fight again at all. Um, you know, Chocolatito. I am a little bit worried about him, but I'm not. You know, I would happily. There are other fighters I would see him fight happily, and this it may still will be that he uh, he's still in the fight. You know, because it was really narrow, and he almost got back into it. You know, it would be silly to say that if he can't beat Estrada again. I would very clearly be picking Estrada again in the in the fourth one. But I am an Estrada fan. But you know, most people's favourite fighter of the generation is either Chocolatito or Golovkin. Mine is Estrada. Um, but uh, but but Chocolatito, you know, he's in it. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've seen this conversation um, on going on. You know, online on Twitter on in the comment sections and all of that kind of thing. Um, it is interesting that uh, Estrada is two one, and like you know, a lot of people don't believe it should be two one. Um, there is no comparison between the first fight between these two and Canelo Golovkin either one. But it just isn't. Um, like you can score it for Chocolatito, and I absolutely see why people think Chocolatito should have won. But the thing about boxing is uh, the second one. But the thing about boxing is. Um, it is there is subjectivity to the scoring, and you know I'm biased because I scored the second one for Estrada, and I may be biased because I like Estrada, but um, it wasn't a robbery. I'm sorry, it just wasn't. You can find around if you can find around to give to Estrada, and I think you have to be pretty biased against him. Not you know there will be there are rounds where you think okay I gave it to Shakhtar, so but maybe it's, anyway. My point is is um. Even if you have it two one Shakhtar, um, you know 
officially it's 2-1 Estrada. Chocolatito at this point would definitely go down more in boxing history. And I think, you know, Estrada could conceivably um, make himself as big a deal um, because he's got, he's, you know, he's 32. He's got a few years. He could unify this division. Um, he could beat up a couple of the upcoming young guns. I doubt that he'll fight in a way ever now. Um, yeah, in a way he's looking up, not down. Um, but yeah, he could still do a lot. But I think in 20 years' time, in you know, in the in the minds of boxing heads, Chocolatito will be Chocolatito. Estrada will be that guy who beat Chocolatito. You know, he'll be the opponent. Apart from the guys who really dig into it, and, you know, and, you know, I will be waving at Estrada's flag. Um, but Chocolatito is the guy who brought. The thing is, Chocolatito brought this division to this attention. We wouldn't know who Estrada is if it wasn't for Chocolatito. And it isn't not just the fact that the first fight. Um, with Chocolatito brought Estrada onto the world stage, it's the fact that it's Gonzalez who, whose style and the excitement and the constant really cool fucking victories got HBO to go, okay, we need to make this guy think that this guy deserves to be seen. Um, and the world of boxing fans deserve to see this guy. And that was Chocolatito. His style was unique. And, um, and he brought these lighter divisions to an attention that they hadn't had internationally. You know, they've had, they had their audiences in Japan, not like Chocolatito, they fought in Japan for a while for a reason. Um, and, you know, in Mexico, the lighter weights are, you know, I guess pretty popular. I'm not an expert. I'm not going to say, you know, I know how popular they are, but, um, but there seem to be stars in Mexico who are smaller. Um, certainly they have much more of a, of a thing where, you know, you pick out, you know, the, the curse of the random Mexican, where you pick out a fella who, is barely fought outside of Mexico and fight, bring him to fight your guy. You know, this happens to Eddie Hearn a lot and they turn out to smash the shit out of him. Um, Mexico clearly has a thriving scene of smaller guys and, you know, even, Mexi even Mexican fighters can fall afoul of that as we saw with Estrada, you know, really struggling with Archie Cortez um, and Archie Cortez himself. You know, it's just a really strong scene in Mexico but um, but internationally the lightweights didn't have this, um, you know, in America and in Europe, um, I should say this: um, those those weights didn't have the attention that they deserved, and they have more of it now. It is still notable that way more public attention went to Fury versus Chisora than did than it did for Estrada versus Chocolatito. Um, and uh, you know, these like for me, these are arguably the two best fighters of the last decade or so. Yeah, you know that kind of thing, like. Uh, yeah, you've got your Terence Crawford and Golovkin and Usyk. I mean, Usyk has to be up there. Um, I would, at this point, say Estrada is definitely better than Canelo Alvarez. Um, that Estrada is the best Mexican fighter in this generation. I know people will disagree, um, and you can argue the greatness and you know there are how much they deserve the best victory. Um, but I would suggest that uh, you know now at this point, I do think Chocolatito, both in career and in skill, was better than Golovkin. Um, you know, he's a better victory, and there was less question about Estrada's victories over over Chocolatito. But you know, you can argue the um, we can argue the um, depth of the resume once everything's said and done. Um, but in, just in terms of skill, there was a point when I would, when I was you know I was convinced enough by Canelo to think, okay, Estrada, no, not really. Even though Estrada's my favourite fighter, um, you know, I would put Canelo a little above him. It's pure skill, but that was based on me being convinced um, and I, it took a lot longer to convince me but eventually I kind of went yeah um, that Canelo had fixed his footwork's issues completely that he wasn't going to fall afoul of the footwork problems um, that even though he still, he still he was always still a little bit slow but um, 
but he wasn't going to get start getting himself out of shape and all that kind of thing. And then Bivol did it to him. He just kind of got all, got it all right against Bivol. And I'm like, you know, that never that doesn't happen to Strider. He has his other issues, and it's clearly Strider has his moments where he looks like absolute shite fighting, you know, guys who really should be beating the piss out of frankly. So you can make that argument. Um, but other than that, the only times that Strider hasn't got himself, you know, the only two times that Strider hasn't made made the adjustments that he needs to and fix whatever issues he was having in any given fight enough to get the win were, you know, the first Triple H fight, arguably the second Triple H to fight, um, you know, according to many, and uh, Shrisiketsu Rungusai. Um, and in all of those, all of those were razor, well, the, the, the first Triple H fight wasn't razor thin, and then apparently people didn't see the second one as razor thin either, but whatever. The Shrisiketsu Rungusai fight was another a really close one. He was in all of those fights. He'd never been, um, you know, I apart from the early loss to... Um, Juan Carlos Sanchez um, Jr., which I haven't seen, but um, you know that was one of those fights where Strider didn't really have an amateur career; he's still developing. It wasn't a um, a, a Strider in his prime, full skill set sort of thing. Um, it was a learning fight. Um, basically, what I'm saying it doesn't count towards his skill set in its prime. Um, yeah, in his prime, Strider was just—he never got dominated by anyone in the way that uh, we saw Canelo lose to Bivol. And okay, yeah, um, he had a size disadvantage, Canelo. That Estrada has never had. Anyway, I'm getting off the subject. Um, <laughs> I just like you know, I like giving Estrada his flowers. Um, what what can you do? Um, yeah, no, it was a great fight. Um, if you haven't seen it, obviously fucking watch it and watch all three of their fights and just you know continue to do that. Yeah, not too much to say. Well, there is you know again there is lots more to say about that and people who are wiser with like the football technical details um, of foot positioning and all that will have plenty to say about it. But um. But I'm going to move on, and I'm going to move on to the co-main here, which was who knows Cesar Martinez against Samuel Carmona. Uh, Carmona was a kind of a late replacement. Um, it was meant to be fuck someone else. It was meant to be McWilliams or Arroyo, which would have been a rematch, I think, for Martinez. And instead, it turned out to be Samuel Carmona, a Spaniard who's only eight and zero as a pro. He did have a decent amateur career, and you could see it. And, you know, I wrote Carmona off completely. I was like, he's not going to be ready. He's only fought regional Spanish shows. Um, I kind of briefly looked at him online, but I clearly didn't do enough digging because, um, because he looked really neat, especially in the first half. He was giving Muno um, Salazar Martinez a boxing lesson, and Martinez was so irritating because for a fighter, he's always been one-paced, and it's always been maximum pace, but it's always been one-paced. Um, but he once he gets in close, he's still quite good at making those little... Steps and angles around his opponents, um, you know, not well enough to compete with Chocolatito Gonzalez. That's why he got fucking humiliated in uh, March, I think it was. But um, but he's not bad. Um, but he couldn't get close to Carmona at all. Like he couldn't cut the ring on him at all. It's laughable how bad he is at cutting the ring for someone who's supposed to be a pressure fighter. And when he throws, it's these big fucking swings, and uh, you know. It was just really, really bad. And then Carmona broke his hand. Like he very clearly injured his right hand, um, and he just kind of went one-handed. And uh, in the middle rounds of the fight, um, he didn't engage at all. And the commentary was really unfair because you know they were pointing out he's injured his hand. Like you have to bite, you have to bite through it. Yeah, you know there are other fighters who will do it. Like Otto Gatti will. No, no, no. I mean, there were two things. Firstly, you don't know how bad he's injured it. Secondly. 
he has to he, he's not just thinking about this fight he has to you know conserve for uh for the next one you know attack parker quit against uh against um for that take who's he fighting there's john Ryder, and i don't have any problem with that either but um but, um you know um Carmona kept kept at it, and he kept he just jamming, jamming, jamming. It didn't do enough. Um, you know, you it would be fair to say that uh, that Martinez was winning those the middle rounds, um, but he wasn't winning them very much because hardly anything he did landed. Like he couldn't close Carmona down at all. And yeah, I would have liked to see Carmona like step in, jab, and leave it a bit more, and put a stamp on it. And he maybe could have, you know, I think he won the fight anyway, but. Um, he could have made it more clear. In the last couple of rounds, he did do that and engaged more, and he won, I think, the last two rounds. And for me, the fight. Um, but, you know, Sergio Moro, on the contrary, was just like, oh, yeah, you have to be fighting. And, 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 and just completely, even his cop, Coco Mutas, were like, Sergio, come on, he's perfectly sound. He's clearly can't fight through his hand. And, yeah, you know, there are, you can say things about Carmona's performance. Like, it wasn't the best response you've ever seen to someone breaking their hand. Um, but it also wasn't the worst. Um, meanwhile, Sergio Martinez's response to seeing a one-handed fighter who didn't want to engage was, was what, you know, it's just so bad. You know, he had no answers. He had no ideas on how to get close. Um, you know, there was a time not so long ago, and I'm not doing this to mock the people, but, you know, I hope, uh, I hope no one felt mocked when I said this. Um, people were picking Martinez to blow through Sonny Edwards. Um, and, you know, even I was like, yeah, this is going to be a difficult fight for Sonny Edwards. Now, Sonny Edwards would clown the fucking shit out of him. It would be embarrassing because Edwards can do everything that Pomona did, but he'd engage more, um, you know, even if he didn't break a hand. Um, he's more capable on the inside. Not seen Edwards. Yeah, there's just, I can't see anything that uh, Martinez could do to get close enough to Edwards to overwhelm him. It was just, it's just a pitiful performance. I'm sorry, it was terrible. Um, and yeah, he wins in a go time. He's recovering from his loss to Triple H Gonzalez, but it was bad. It was bad, and uh, yeah, he's just kind of lost all his goodwill with the, um, you know, when he broke through by beating Charlie Edwards unexpected, or well, not beating, but you know what I mean. Um, was it Lee Selby or Andrew Selby? Um, yeah, he broke he broke through by beating the two British guys, and then he uh, he's kind of just kind of spent the time since just being really irritating. Um, and you know, he's been, he's been cool to watch, but um, the more he fights, the more crude he looks, the more opponents know what's coming, the more crude he looks. Uh, yeah okay that is all I'm really going to talk about this weekend um, there was another really good fight on the undercard of this um, the one between John Alito Velasquez and Christopher Rosales which Rosales won in a 10 round decision um, you know that was a really good back and forth fight which I was not paying attention to at all because I was sort of I had had to get a few hours sleep and uh, I was just kind of getting up um, as it happened so I have no real comment on how it went down but it was a really good action fight and I'm going to go back and watch it at some point um yeah, it's it was really you know maybe in terms of just pure action the best fight of the night. Um, so yeah, I would say watch Rosales versus Velasquez if you can. Um, but I'm not going to comment on it. And the other fights, like I say, um, Fury versus Chisora, I just have nothing to say about. Um, it was just amusing to see Fury. You know, now he's changed his mind and he does want to fight Usyk. Usyk turned up in his backyard and. Uh, and you know they had this face off, and uh, Fury was shouting in his face and being a bit of a dickhead. And Fury was just looking at him, and then he got his phone out. And then Joe Joyce got up and ran over as well. And you know it's this big three-way showman. You know I, I enjoy that kind of thing to be honest. But um, but with Tyson Fury, I'm not going to believe anything until I see the two guys in the ring. So um, I hope it happens. And Fury does seem to have changed his tune. Um, 
and, uh, and you know now giving Usyk respect and you know he's a tricky fighter blah 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 which kind of suggests that he may fight him after all because uh, because he's not dismissing him um, he wants to make him look good if he's going to fight him right so that may be that um, the most interesting to happen on that card was um, Daniel Dubois versus um, Kevin Lorena and that was um, interesting <laughs> It was it was interesting because Daniel Dubois fucked his knee up in the in the first round and went down three times, and then uh, Lorena sort of didn't know what to do with him and uh, eventually got finished in the third. And it was controversial to say the least. And some people were claiming fix. Um, I would say this: the people claiming fix in the ter- in, in the sense that Lorena deliberately didn't come on to Dubois and uh, and that it was arranged between the two of them are being incredibly disrespectful to. To Lorena and to Dubois, um, but it is fair to be outraged by the refereeing and timekeeping because in the first round Dubois got uh, ten second. Uh, the bell went on the ten second clapper, um, which you know in, in that situation is a lot. Um, and in the final round, uh, Lorena was hurt and wobbling, and um, you know on the ropes and being pummeled, but the bell went and the referee jumped in and stopped it. Um, you know, you could make the argument that the referee was jumping in already when the bell went, but either, even if he was, you know, I don't think Lorena... It wasn't one of those situations where Lorena, he look, looked that out of it. Like, you could, you know, I always say that the referee, you know, he could see their eyes and all of that, but um, but he didn't look that out of it, and it was after the bell, so, so I think the referee should have, um, you know, given him the time. But, in, yeah, in terms of what happened... I thought it was good to see Dubois prove that he's he, that he has got heart and can fight through adversity. Because I mean, like I always say, I had no problem with him quitting. Air quotes against uh, um, Joe Joyce. I mean, he he did quit in the literal sense, but um, but I have no, you know, there's no cowardice or anything about that. It's just sometimes you can't fight on anymore. But um. He may have been questioning himself, and certainly there was questions about him um, whether he's got the grit to fight through like the really tough things. And you know, when your your knee fucking up is a it's a really difficult thing to fight through. And he did, he did, and he kept it calm. And um, people were questioning why Lorena didn't jump in more, you know, because every time he did, Dubois caught him anyway. It's pretty simple, really. Um, even if he, uh, even when he did get close and tried to unload, every time he did, Dubois caught him. Uh, you know that's where the f- he caught him at the end of the second round and hurt him, and that's where the, the finishing shots came from the knockdown, and then the, um, he was to hurt and uh, Dubois finish him off. It's because when he tried to engage, he got fucked up. Um, you know, you could say, oh, he could have circled around and all of that. You know, so yeah, the better boxer would have done, but um, but Lorena is not that guy. Um, yeah, so I, I think the premise that Lorena was in on the fix was um, is ridiculous. Um, you know, I don't want to say. That I well, yeah, I don't want to say that I think the officials accepted money from Frank Warren to fix the uh, fight for Dubois. Like I think, I think that's probably unlikely. But they let uh, I don't know. They might have been getting a you know poke from somewhere. But um, you know the, the ten the ten second clap was outrageous. But um, it's not you know that happens sometimes. But it happening it happening in this specific situation, um, the bell game instead of the ten second clap is a, a head of a coincidence. It happening. Just happening to happen when uh, the home fighter needed at the out. Um, the other, the other referee jumping in at the end. You know, I suspect he had 
the crowd on his mind and the local boy on his mind, you know, rather than it being an official, like, there being some kind of agreement. But it was still bad referee. Um, yeah, that's all there really is to say about that. Um, there's nothing to really technical to say because, uh, you know, the, the fight wasn't really about that. So, so there's that. Yeah, that's all there really is to talk about this week. Next week's a really busy one. Um, the fight that you know, I will be doing uh, the bloody elbow preview on Sandra Martin versus um, Tiafimo Lopez. Uh, that's Lopez's sort of stepping up tester um, at 140 pounds. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's not a bad fight. Like you'd expect Lopez to win. He'll be the favourite. But, um, but Sandra Martin's pretty good. He's you know he's got a, he's got a win over Mikey Garcia last year. You know, I'm not sure really what that means. Uh, in 2021, but uh, but he has it, and he has a he's has a better recent record than um, Jose Pedraza, who was the original um, opponent. So you know, I don't think it's any worse a fight than the original. One. It's pretty, you know, it's just a pretty good tester. Um, so that's why you know that's why I'm focusing on that. But I will be doing a preview of the uh, the rest. Uh, um, I mean, I always say that <laughs> I plan to do a preview um, of. Uh, Terence Crawford versus David Avanessian. I have very little interest in that fight as a contest, but um, Terence Crawford is, you know, major figure, and you know Avanessian's not terrible. Um, you know, he's he's a good fighter, but he's a European level sort of fighter, and he shouldn't be an opponent for a pound for pound, you know, generational talent at this stage of his career. He really shouldn't. It's just a very very silly fight. Um, the other interesting one is a uh, is um, Josh Warrington's. Um, I'm I mean a lot this week. Um, it's Josh Warrington versus Luis Alberto Lopez, uh, which is in Leeds, which is cool. And uh, yeah, for I don't know about Luis Alberto Lopez, but um, you know I'll have to look him up. But um, I'm told that he's pretty good. And Josh Warrington, you know, that you'd pick Warrington maybe. You'd think Warrington should win, but um, but it's not going to be a walkover fight or anything like that. And Warrington's an exciting fighter, and it's in his hometown of Leeds. It's always fun watching Warrington in Leeds. So roughly at the same time, uh, Mark McConnell is fighting Kevin McGuffey in uh, Belfast, and uh, that's not a bad fight either. Again, McGuffey is a former European champion. He got uh, knocked out in the comeback of the year by uh, Jordan Gill earlier in the year, and now he's coming back to fight Conlon. You know, it's a uh, he's not uh, it's not fucking about, is he? Um, and he's pretty again. He's a pretty good fighter. Uh, if Conlon is slipping, if Conlon uh, takes it lightly, there's a contest in there, but. Um, you know, again, you'd pick, you'd think, uh, you'd think he'd win. Um, yeah, the week after that, the, the Tuesday after that, now we, now you're anyway, fighting Paul Butler. Um, I, I won't be, well, no, I'll probably preview for that because it'll be before the next preview. Um, and my podcast will be recorded before the fight, but, uh, but come out after. You'd be usually, that's how it happens. So, um, it will be on a Tuesday morning if I understand the time correctly. So, um, so I won't be uh, covering that in depth, but I'll mention that on next week uh, in the preview if I do the preview. If I get the preview done, is what I should say there. It's not, it's not that I'm intending not to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a busy week, lots, lots for me to get on with. Um, so I will see you then. So follow me at Crafty Boxing on Twitter, you know, as long as Twitter exists. Follow the fight site on Twitter, but also on Instagram. I think we have a TikTok now, just, you know, check, check that too. Um, yeah, and, uh, Join our patron, as always. All the good stuff on our patron. And uh, yeah, that's it. I will see you next time.